Hey, we are, we're in the book of Joshua, chapter 10. I was going to put out on the sign or have somebody put out on the sign, um, the day the earth stood still, Sunday at 9.30, right? The day the earth stood still. And uh, you, could, you could call that the, the name of the, I, I don't usually title my message, that would be a, a name we could definitely put, the day the earth stood still. Joshua chapter 10 is this miracle that we find that you may have heard of um, that is actually in the Bible. And this is one of these miracles that is bigger than we can imagine. And if you're scientific at all, there's been an issue. And some of you in here may, may say, well, I don't know if I, I believe that that really happened. Um, but we want to talk a little bit about this miracle. I want to set up a little bit of uh, Joshua chapter 10. Last week, we talked about the Gibeonites and how they came in and they deceived um, Joshua and the Israelites, and they got the Israelites to make a treaty with them so that, that the Israelites wouldn't kill them. And they made them to be water, you know, water bearers, and, and they would get, gather the firewood for the worship in the temple. And that was in chapter 9. Well, in, in chapter 10, also in chapter 9, there was a group of kings that was going to get together um, and fight against Israel as one force because they knew that Israel was a force to be reckoned with, and they had no chance separately. And so all these kings were going to get together, and Gibeon was supposed to be part of that, that alliance to fight Israel. And Gibeon said, I still don't think that we can do this. So they kind of backed out and made an alliance, a, a, a secret alliance, kind of deceptive alliance with, with Israel. And so Israel promised, because they swore to the Lord, that they would not harm them. So now chapter 10 is coming. And the first thing we find in verse 1, chapter 10, it says, Now it came to pass when Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, heard how Joshua had taken Ai and had utterly destroyed it, as he had done to Jericho and its king, so he had done to Ai and its king, and how the inhabitants of Gibeon had made, had made peace with Israel and were among them, that they feared greatly because Gibeon was a great city, like one of the royal cities, and because it was greater than Ai, and all its men were mighty. What does that mean? Basically, they're looking at Gibeon, and Gibeon's a great city. They have fighting men. It's bigger and better than Ai, and Gibeon wouldn't even stand up against Israel. They didn't even want to try. They gave in, and so this is making the other kings even more nervous, and they're a little upset. And so in verse 3, it says, So Adonai Gazetic, king of Jerusalem, sent to Hoham. Hoham, we love these names. And they, you, know, you can have fun with them if you want. You know, Hoham, Hoham, king of Hebron, Piram, king of Jarmuth, Japhia, king of Lachish, and Deber, king of Eglon. And if you can say all that in a breath, that's great. And they say, Come up to me and help me that we may attack, not Israel, Gibeon. So Israel's coming in. And they're going to, you know, fight against them, and they've got the favor of the Lord, but they're going, you know what, let's just get Gibeon. I didn't, you know, we don't know exactly why they're saying, of course, they're angry at Gibeon for joining with Israel, but, but maybe they just want to get back and say, you know, we're going to probably die at the hand of Israel, but at least we'll go down fighting and we'll get some revenge on Gibeon. I'm not sure. So they go up and attack Gibeon, while well, these four, four towns go to attack Gibeon, and, and what we see in just a couple verses here, I encourage you to read each chapter every week, and, and uh, for next week you'll be reading chapter 11. Um, and so they, they go up and they begin to attack Gibeon, while well, Gibeon sends out a call to Israel. And this is what we alluded to last week. So here Gibeon deceived Israel, but Israel made an oath that they would protect them and fight with them. 
and, and, and that, they would, you know, that they would protect them. And so Gibeon calls out, and this is what I said last week. You can listen to the message. It's online. That, you know, here, was, here could have been an opportunity for Joshua to say, you know what? You know, you made your, you made your bed, now lie in it. We've told our kids some of those things over the years. And, 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 and probably would have been justified. I mean, it seemed like it would have been justified, but Joshua felt the Lord said no. So when Gibeon calls for help, they go to the rescue. They go to the rescue. Now, it's about 20 miles away. Who's ever gone on a, there's a few, few of you who've gone a really big hike, Pacific Crest Trail or something, 20 miles in a day. Small walk, big walk. That's a big walk. That's a big walk. You know, they got 20 miles and they need to get to Gibeon. And so here's, here's the setup of the story. So they begin to march to go protect Gibeon and they march all night long and they're tired. And if you've ever hiked and marched for 20 miles, I'm thinking, you know, I know some of you military guys, you've marched those, you've gone up and hiked some of these hikes. That's a lot of walking. And they get there in the morning. And just like if you were to do that in wartime, this is wartime, they get there and they don't get to rest for the day. They don't get to rest for the day. In fact, that's one of the things that happened in the Civil War. There was a battle that we could have ended the Civil War uh, a couple of weeks earlier. And one of the generals marched right upon the, the, uh, the Confederate soldiers and could have overtaken them. But he says, oh, my, my troops are tired. And, and they didn't. And then they, the Confederates got away. It's kind of an interesting story there. But um, so, so they know they get there and they go, we've got to attack now. And so they begin to attack. And, you know, the story's in there. The, the kings all begin to run away and they get, you know, they find a cave and they seal it. Joshua seals up the cave and says, don't let them go. Keep pursuing all the other guys. Don't let them get to their cities of refuge. Because a lot of these cities did, just like Jericho, they'd have walls and somewhat protection and more people. And if they were to reach the cities, they could re-fortify and it would be such a bigger battle. And they might even come back out with strength and, and Israel is already tired from this battle. So this is kind of the setup. And so let's go to this this verse here. Um, so the Lord routed them before Israel and killed them with a great slaughter. Um, let's go down to verse 12. And so they need to, to utterly destroy them before they get to the, uh, into their cities, all these kings that they're chasing. And so this is a crazy, crazy, bold prayer. Then Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the children of Israel, and he said in the sight of Israel... Okay, I'm going to stop right there. Who's ever prayed for some, for some really big, crazy, miracle thing? Anyone ever pray for something really big? Who's ever prayed that same prayer out loud in front of people? See, there's not as many heads. You see the hands aren't as big and high? It's because it's one thing to be sitting in your closet saying, God, I pray that you would raise somebody from the dead, or God, I pray that you would heal them of cancer, or God, I pray, you know, and you're sitting in your closet. You're sitting, nobody can hear you, and it's, it's kind of easy to pray that there. It's another thing to pray the same crazy prayer that, that doesn't seem like it's going to work in front of other people. You follow me? I, 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 an example. Whether this was right or wrong, um, the boldness of it, when we were in Oakdale, there was a, a, a woman of God who had been uh, in a wheelchair, and God healed her out of the wheelchair first, right? Didn't Maxine get healed out of the wheelchair first? Got healed, and that was an amazing miracle. I mean, it was just, she had been in a wheelchair for a number of years, and all of a sudden, they, a lot of prayer was going, and all of a sudden, she, she started walking again. But shortly after that, she died. 
And so a group, not a large group, a group of people went to the mortuary and laid hands on the building and began to pray and command, come out, live in the name of Jesus. And if you're like me at all, you think they're crazy. <laughs> in fact, I wasn't part of that group. It, it kind of happened. I don't even know if I, I knew it was happening. And I remember they were talking about it, and I drove by, and there was the group. And I'm like, I, I don't know if I'd be part of that group. This is a little over the top for me. You know, God can raise people from the dead. But that was just, for me, it was a little outside of my comfort zone. I was okay to pray for her from home. You know, God, man, that'd be awesome, raise her from the dead. But to put yourself out there. And so Joshua, in front of all Israel, says this crazy, crazy prayer. Sun, stand still over Gibeon. And moon in the valley of Ajalon. And so the sun stood still and the moon stopped till the people had revenge upon their enemies. Sun, stand still. What do we believe? What kind of a God do we have? Do we have a really big God or a small God? Do we believe in big, fat miracles or the providence of God? This is something for, I'm, this is a message to me. <laughs> and you can listen in, to, to, as I talk to Mark and myself, you can listen in because these are the things that, that are challenging to me. There's a lot that's challenging. This is one of them. And I'm trying to be real. You don't have to leave, leave the lights off. We've got a problem in these lights. That we have a, th this moment of where do I believe God? Now, there's, there's things I think we're supposed to believe God for, and there are, there are other things. This is, this is a miracle that God has never said he would definitely do. There are things that God says to us, he will do. He says he will provide for us. So even when we're poor, when anything else is happening, we can pray the Lord, Lord, make provision for me. And we can expect that he's going to do that because he's a God of his word. But there are other things that we pray for that aren't necessarily promises in the Bible. The sun standing still can't be found anywhere in the scriptures. He didn't promise that that would happen. That's the difference when we begin to pray or ask God for things that are really something he's already promised and we're just standing in faith that he's going to do and stepping outside of that arena. He didn't, he didn't say that we would always raise the dead, but he did say we could. So when we go and pray for people that are dead, has anyone ever prayed for a dead person? It's kind of weird. It's kind of cool. I, it, it didn't happen yet. I've, I've actually have a few people that, that, have, that I know that have seen some of these, these things. One happened in Guatemala um, on a little island outside of Panajachel. And uh, revival has broken out in those villages because there was a little girl who was dead and, and she came to life. I mean, it, I love it when I know the connections because we've heard about it. Haven't we heard about people coming back? To, and you're like, I want to see it. Again, I'm, I'm going to confess, I can be skeptical and say, like, I don't know, I want to see it. I'm Thomas. I'm, I'm Thomas. Let me put my finger in the hole. Okay? And, and, but God help me increase my faith. And so, so praying for some of these things are, are 
outside of the absolute promises of God. Let me tell you a little bit of difference. And the definition of a miracle is really hard to find. There's a whole bunch of definitions out there. And, and as I started, you know, what's a, what is a miracle? Um, you know, you've got a whole bunch of people trying to, to explain, but the, the one that I like or the idea I like best about what a miracle is, is that, that something that God does that is outside of a natural occurring event. Um, and, you know, he will receive glory from it. You know, that, that is something, uh, and not that, see, this is where it's hard to say, well, you know, when you're sitting in your front room and all of a sudden you go, I need to go check on my baby, and you go in there, they're just about to stick something in the wall, in the wall socket. You know, anyone ever have something like that? Like, you, or I, I need to go check. And you go in just in time to see something. And I believe that's the hand of God telling us to go do something. So that, that is a miracle in, in a level. But this is a whole nother miracle. Sun stand still over Gibeon. And this, this morning we are divided. I'm, I guarantee you we're divided in what we think actually happened here. There's, there's a number of views. There's, I'm going to go over seven real quick of what maybe this happened, what, what could have happened here. Because um, some of us in here might actually say, I don't think that really happened. And that's, that's definitely a view. It's poetical. It's um, not to be understood literally. And it's just a story. Another one is that the sun standing still, um, refer, some people believe this. I, I hadn't heard this until I looked it up. That actually referred to an eclipse of the sun and that there was an eclipse and somehow that explained it. So that's a view. Um, that the, another view is that the earth actually stopped its rotation around the sun for almost 24 hours. Okay, now, now I'm gonna talk about this a little bit because we know now that the sun is not moving around us, right? We go back to, we go back to school, oh, that's right. The sun's not moving, the earth is spinning at the same time it's moving. Our seasons are based on its movement around the sun, and the sun setting is based on its spinning on its axis, right? Kind of go back to there. But yet, this morning, who looked up and saw the sunrise? Right? What do we, and then tonight we're going to see the sun set. The sun's not setting, the sun didn't rise. We still say it, but it didn't rise and it's not going to set. But it sounds a lot better than, who saw the earth twist this morning? Okay, so right, so right, we saw the sunrise, we're going to see the sun set. And we, we, we will say at some point, oh, earlier the sun was over there, now the sun is over here and it moved about that far. We still say this today, even though we know the sun didn't move. Not in that way. I mean, it's actually the whole, the whole thing is moving through space. We're not going to go there. We're, we're talking about the, we're twisted. We're twisting the twisting of the earth at somewhere between, I'm bad with it, 24 to 26,000 miles an hour. This earth is tw spinning 24 to 26,000 miles an hour. Okay, it's like a car that's driving 70 miles an hour down the, 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 the freeway, and we've seen this, and we've been, some of you have been in an accident at 30 or 40 or 50, maybe 60, 70. Not too many people walk away from 70 mile an hour accidents. When you're in a car that's moving X amount of miles and it hits something that's stationary, what happens to the car? 
it gets a wrinkle and it stops. What happens to you? You keep going. So we've got some problems here scientifically that we're, you know, we're, we're, people are trying to figure out. Now, the difference between a car and the earth is that the, the earth actually has an atmosphere and has gravity. And so I'm not sure exactly what would happen if the earth stopped spinning. But I imagine there a lot could go wrong. Okay, but the earth actually stopped the rotation. Um, another view is that the earth's rotation was simply slowed down and not stopped and the length in the day almost 24 hours or whatever. We'll talk a little bit about that. I don't want to spend too much time here. Um, but these things are fun to me, so bear with me. Another view is that the sun and the moon appeared to be out of the regular place by like a mirage. So they, they were actually down, but it looked like they were still up. And, you know, nothing's too hard for God. God could do that too. Um, I, I even had one. I, I even thought of one that wasn't on this list. And that was simply that, uh, that the Lord appeared in the sky. And the brightness of the Lord made it look like the sun. I didn't see that one. And that, to me, you go, you know, even the Bible even says that our God is the son of righteousness, but it says S-U-N. He's a son of righteousness. That's when I thought, well, that's even feasible, that, that the Lord appeared to brighten up because what, what was it? What was the thing? Last two real quick. Um, Sun stopped shining during the latter half of the day. That's a strange one. And this one was really weird. I, some people, when they're trying to explain the Bible, and you know why we do this? Because we're not comfortable with the, the, the miracle. We're not comfortable with the way it's written, so we try to come up with these other things that are more comfortable. Um, rather than the day being prolonged, God prolonged the previous night, so they got in there really, really, really early, and they actually did have a whole, whole long day. And these are like some of the common views. What really happened? Well, let me talk about the, the, quickly the verbiage in the Bible. The verbiage in the Bible, there is one of the verses that make it sound, the word used there could mean that the light was lessened. Because some people say, really what they're saying is that the sun, that was another one, I forgot to write that one down, that it wasn't as hot. They were fighting and the Joshua said, sun, don't be so intense here because it's really hot in, in, in this area. And fighting in the blazing heat would be really difficult. And the word actually makes it to be that it could have just been lessened. Like, stop doing what you're doing to me. Stop beating down on me so much. Give us a break. So that, that's probably the eclipse idea. So eclipse happened and everyone's cool and now they can fight harder. So what? There's a, the other scriptures that talk about this in the Hebrew. In the Aramaic, they use the words to where we know that the sun probably didn't stop. It actually slowed down. Because a little bit later, it does go down. It doesn't sound like it stops and then is gone. It goes down. So probably the earth slowed down somehow. Wow. Is this hard for us? It is. It is. But we're reading the scripture, say, okay, he's, he's cried out. And, 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 you know, all to slow down the rotation of the earth, just enough to give it, an, a, it says, it delayed its going down about a whole day. So sped down half of the speed, I don't know. Gave them enough extra time to fight and to destroy the enemies. Now this is probably going to be one of these times where we go, man, we're going to go home and go, wow. What happened and, and, and what do I do with this? 
Our God is a miracle-making God. And He does things outside of our comprehension all the time. One of the problems is that we have a miracle happen in our life. We know at the time it's a miracle and it's really cool. It's amazing. But we get down the road a little ways and it lessens and we forget about it. And it just, it's not still driving us. It's not part of us. God does miracles all the time. I'm not going to have a show of hands because actually I'd like you to think about this. You know, what things have you seen in your life? And, and say, God, help me to remember those things that just shouldn't have happened. I want to tell you, talk a little bit about a guy this morning some of you are familiar with. Lived in the 1800s. Um, died in 1898, I believe, just before the turn of the century. He lived almost the entire, entire 1800s. His name was George Mueller. German man. Went to England to work with a missions group there. And this is uh, in about 1825. He went to go serve um, in the missions. And he was working with them for a couple of years and, and was having a lot of issues. They were telling him he couldn't preach and he couldn't do this. And, and he, he gets really sick. And so he goes away to heal. And they thought he was going to die. But he goes away and kind of has a sabbatical, just a short 10-day rest to get healing. And in that 10 days, he meets with the Lord. And the Lord comes and just ministers to him, and he, and he blows his theology upside down, and he changes everything, and he sees the grace of God. Now, before this, George Mueller's past was, he actually, you know, they were, a lot of people were Christian in England at this time. Um, he was in college, but he was a drunk, and he, was li he is a liar, and his dad at one point says, George, you need to go to seminary so that you can have a good career, because that's what it was back then. It was just a career. And so he went off to seminary, and he actually said that in his seminary, um, of about 90 people, that about nine of them actually knew God. And so, but he was around that, and, and he had his first encounter with, the, with God at a Bible study. Then it changed from a cynic, cynic heart, and he, and he found the Lord. So a few years later, he's in this ministry. He gets really sick, and he spends 10 days in, pretty much in the presence of God, and he comes, becomes changed, and he goes back to work with the missions agency, and he realizes he can't serve God and minister there. So he begins to do things, um, different things. One of the things he's most known for is he opened orphanages. He began to care for children. But in his care for children, his goal was that people would experience the Lord. It wasn't about, about meeting the needs of the kids as much. That was third on his list. It was that they would understand the Lord and be taught the things of God. So he began to open up these orphanages. And in his lifetime, he cared for over 10,000 orphans. 10,000 orphans. He started schools through his ministry, and there was over 100,000 uh, students that went through his schools. This was an amazing man. Now, he was, uh, he was a pastor for over, it was 66 years, and after just a, a short time of pastoring, they still used to do this. I don't know if you know, but back in the 1800s, they would rent pews. And you would, would rent your pew. And if you had a lot of money, you would rent a comfortable, more nicer pew at the front of the church. And the poor people would sit at the back. And this was a common practice. And we got a lot of yucky stuff that, you know, we just can't believe we did in, our, in, in, in the church. He put a stop to that in his church. He says, we are not doing that anymore. He says, well, if you don't do that, there's not going to be money to pay your salary and all that. He says, I don't want a salary. 
We're not going to rent pews. And I'm not going to take a salary. God's going to provide for me. And so he stopped taking a salary. And his belief and his faith said, God will provide for me. And he opened up his orphanages the same way. In his career of caring for 10,000 orphans, he never asked for money. Never asked for money from anyone but God. And he would pray to God and say, God, sovereign God, you know our need. Meet our need. He says that his testimony is that he never missed a meal in his life. He was married, had children, never missed a meal. His orphans didn't go without. Now, we got to go, go back. We've got to put our minds around to the 1800s. It's not today. We have a lot of extra money in this nation. The 1800s. And he's just trusting on God to feed, to clothe, and to provide. Let me tell you a, just one of his many, many stories of not asking anyone for, for food, for money, for food, for anything. He would always just go to the Lord, and people would be moved upon to provide for him. One morning, there was about 350 students, kids in the orphanage, and there was no food. Now, if you're like me, again, I, I always compare myself, but if you're like probably the average person, we say, oh my gosh, we have no food in the house. That means that we have three cans of beans, and we have some rice, and we have this stuff, we can eat. Most of us in this room have never not had any food. You know, there was something. We just didn't want to make it. It didn't sound good enough. Some of you actually have stories that you go, you know what, there was a time there wasn't a can of beans to open. There was nothing. Um, nothing. There was no food f for the kids. And he prayed, Lord, we thank you for this food for the 350 kids. There was a knock on the door. And the baker from the town said, last night in the middle of the night, God woke me up and impressed upon me that you needed bread today. So I was up all night baking bread. And they brought the bread in. No sooner did that happen, another knock on the door. They open it up, and it's the milkman. <laughs> the milkman says, my cart just broke an axle or broke a wheel. And by the time we fix it, all the milk is going to go bad. They didn't have refrigeration. So could you use any milk this morning? This is the God of miracles. This is the God who can slow the sun. He can make it look like it's bright. He can do whatever he wants to do. He can bring things in. But what kind of God are we serving? What do we expect from God? Where's our faith? Now, some of us would say, I think George Mueller just had the gift of faith. He actually addresses this. If you read about him, his wonderful biographies, one of the things he says is, I do not have the gift of faith as you would find in 1 Corinthians, in the gifts of the miracles and faith. He says, I don't have the gift of faith. He says, I have the grace of faith. He says, the gift of faith makes it sound like I can have this and you can't, but he says, this is just trusting in God for the things that he said he would provide. See, he told us that he would provide for us. It's the grace of faith. There's a different gift of faith, and I believe the gift of faith would be for more of a miracle like we see in, in Joshua, something like that, a gift of a miracle that is, that is far beyond even just the, we say, simple thing of providing the money or the food right when we need it. But what kind of God are we serving? My God, unfortunately, sometimes is really small. 
And I think I keep them on the shelf too much and say, God, I'll be right back. I'm going to go solve the world's problems. And then I'll come back after I do that and we can talk. I don't, I don't say that, but I, I think sometimes I live like that too much. And I need to get my little God off of, the, off of the shelf and realize that he's a great, big God who wants to do great, big things in our life. And he actually wants us to come to him for the little things and the big things. This week I've had a number of conversations. And whenever this happens, I, I think this is something that God wants us to think about, that the, a number of conversations with different people about praying for little things. And I think it's too common for me and for us as the body of Christ to go, you know, I don't want to bother God with this, so I'm not going to pray about this. I'm not going to ask God about this. That's just silly. That makes me, you know, I can handle this. I, it's okay. And God says, no. Come to me for everything. He says, let your requests be made known unto God. And we have to get out of this, this mindset that says we can actually do this on our own. Because that's part of the issue here. We got a whole bunch of pride that says I, I can do this on my own. And we know, no, God, I'm gonna, I can go to you with everything. That doesn't mean we don't ever do anything. That just means our first response is, God, you're a miracle-making God. And I want to come to you. And I want to ask you for... And we put out these things that seem silly. God, I want to ask you for a friend because I'm feeling lonely. God, I want to ask you that you'd provide food for me. God, I want to ask you that you'd give me wisdom as I talk to my children. Give me, give, give me wisdom and give me, let, let those things that I studied come back to my mind as I go and do my tests. God, as I'm going to make this decision, I want you to be there. And then begin to watch him work in our lives. He's a big God who wants to be highly involved and there's no shame in talking to him about everything see we think that it's shameful that for some reason we're just not supposed to do that i've been making a lot of discoveries about me in in um in the last few years about why i am the way i am and and uh you know if you ever that, that's a fun fun journey to go on why do i do what i do why am I the way I am? God will begin to show you. I've been very independent my whole life. My first job, I was 13. Actually, I was 12. I started working 20 hours a week by the age of 13. By 16, I was working 40 hours a week and attending school. At 18, I was managing a 21-unit hotel. All the staff, the whole place at 18. been very kind of independent, and I never asked anyone for anything. You, my mom would probably say that I, I, she doesn't remember me asking for clothes or for anything. And I realized I grew up with something that, that actually taught me that I wasn't supposed to ask. And one of them was actually my big brother. Every time I, he thought I might want to ask for something, he'd say, don't do that, it's rude. Don't ask, don't ask. We can't afford that, don't ask. Don't ask, don't ask. And so I didn't. And I've grown up and spent 45 years nearly doing things myself. I want to ask. It might be an inconvenience. God says, no, come to me about everything. I'm learning to ask other people for help. I don't want to be a burden. I don't want to be a weight. I, I, I can do this. God says, no, 
He's teaching me. He wants to teach you. Come to him. Talk to him. Expect great and mighty things. It's not too late to learn something new about yourself and about what God wants to do. You know, he wants us to rely on one another. He wants us to be interdependent, but he mostly wants us to go to him and rely on him. And often, one of the things he, often what he does is he has us go to somebody else and we actually have somebody else help us. Well, that's no fun. Right, guys? You know, we're, we, us men, we don't want help. We want to do it ourselves. God wants us to believe him for, for miracles. He wants us to believe him for the little things. You know, only God can heal the sick. So we can pray about that. But I can work and get an extra job to provide a little extra money. I'm not going to pray about that. Go to God for everything. Trust Him in all things. Let this, let this message for me and for all of us in here be something that shakes us up and helps us to understand that our, we really are dependent upon Him. He even gives us the word to help us understand that. He says He holds the whole universe together. You know, he's the reason we have gravity. He's in charge. So let's go to him about everything. It's going to take a big change inside of us to wake up and seek him first and, and, and be the one who would start the day off recounting the things he's done and seeking him. Father, help us to not read the Bible as just great stories. But God, be challenged by people's faith. Lord, help us to hear stories of godly men and women who had that faith to encourage and challenge us to believe you and take you at your word. God, even in our time of worship this morning, you were drawing us to yourself. God, cultivate a relationship. Help us to cultivate a relationship with you daily in our life. Help us to not feel like we need to rely on ourselves, but let us come, as the Bible says, boldly to the throne of grace. God, help us to come to you and let our requests be made known. God, that we might trust you, put our faith in you, and then watch you do miracles and things in our life that that yes, we might be able to take care of on our own, but you want to do in a different way, in a, in a way that wants to blow our minds. But God, the change is going to come from the inside. Help us to trust you and know you more intimately. And that is my prayer for me. God, that you would not be a little tiny God, but a great, big, all-powerful, all-loving, all-caring for every one of my needs, God. Lord, we put our trust and our faith in you today. We take you at your word and say, Lord, however you stopped the earth so that the sun wouldn't go down, so that Joshua and the Israelites had time to finish what they needed to finish, you are a miracle-making God. We put our faith and trust in you today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.